1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be take, shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So in the previous chapter, Paul explained how much he wanted to be with the Thessalonians during their time of trial in uh, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. However, since Paul could not be with the Thessalonians himself, he did the next best things. Uh, he sent his trusted companion and fellow worker Timothy to them. So for the sake of the Thessalonians, Paul was willing to be left in Athens alone. It cost him something to send Timothy to the Thessalonians, and he thought it was good to pay that cost. So minister is not an official title and does not connote an ordained minister in the modern sense of the term. The word rather designates one who renders a service of some kind or another. Uh, it speaks of the servant in relationship to his work, stressing his activity of serving. And so originally the word denoted the service of a table waiter, and from that it came to signify lowly service of any kind. It was often used by the early Christians to give expression to the service that they habitually were to render to both God and to man, where a word like slave, which is often used of Christians, puts the emphasis on the personal relation, this word draws attention to the act of service being rendered. So Paul wanted Timothy to do two things, to establish and encourage the Thessalonians. Both are necessary, but establishing does come first. Encouragement can really only come after we are established in the right direction. Otherwise, we are only encouraged in the wrong course. And so as the Thessalonians were established and encouraged they would not be shaken by these afflictions timothy's ministry would help them to endure their present hardship the ancient greek word translated shaken came from the idea of a dog wagging its tail flattered as a dog flattereth by moving its tail <clears throat> and so the devil by flattering you with the promise of a more ease by a contrary course will do as a dirty dog defile you with fawning and so without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, we are in great danger of being shaken in our faith. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that their, present, their time of present suffering was in God's control. These were afflictions they were appointed to. As part of the normal Christian life, believers have an appointment with affliction. Some believe that Christians shouldn't suffer affliction and that God wants to teach us only by his word and not through trial or tribulation. It is true that there is a great deal of suffering we could be spared by simply obeying God's word, and God wants to spare us that suffering. Nevertheless, suffering was good enough to teach Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It's also in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So therefore, it is good enough to teach us as well. God does teach the believer perseverance, obedience, how to comfort others, and deeper fellowship with Jesus in trials. Some believe that the only kind of affliction a Christian should experience is persecution. The truth is that there are two ancient Greek words used to translate the concept of suffering, and neither of them is used exclusively in regard to persecution. Thalipsis was used for such things like physical pain, emotional hardships, and suffering under temptation. Pasco was used for things uh, such as physical sufferings 
uh, unrelated to persecution, suffering under temptation and hardships in a very general sense. Some believe that affliction means God is angry at the believer. The truth is that affliction means that God loves us enough to give the best when we may only desire what is easy. The symbol of Christianity is the cross, not a feather bed. Uh, affliction is just part of following Jesus. Therefore, Paul recognized that Christians are appointed to affliction. So surveying the whole Christian movement, he saw suffering everywhere as a result of loyalty to the faith. And he did not conceive of it merely as something to be endured. He saw God ruling over all and knew that this pathway of pain was a divinely arranged one. All right. So I don't know what the health and wealth gospel does with that. Verse 4. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So when Paul was with the Thessalonians just a few months before writing this letter, he warned them that they would suffer tribulation. Though he was only with them a few weeks, he taught them about the place of suffering in the Christian life. So we would suffer tribulation in Jesus' parable of the soils. You can find that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 23. He described the way that some fall away when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Jesus said when tribulation arises and not if tribulation comes. Uh, the Christian's faith will be tested. You can be you can be sure of that. Paul knew this, and as a good pastor, he warned the Thessalonians. Verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So Paul could barely endure the thought that the faith of the Thessalonians might crumble under the season of affliction, so he sent Timothy to both check on them and to help them. So Paul's subdued missionary action activities at Corinth before the return of Silas and Timothy in Acts 18 verse 5 seems to indicate that Paul was deeply depressed because of the heavy burden of suspense and uncertainty concerning the outcome of his mission at Thessalonica. And so Paul recognized that the tempter, that is Satan, wanted to exploit this season of suffering. As in the case of Job, Satan wanted to tempt the Thessalonians to give up uh, on God. So if the Thessalonians did waver in their faith, Paul would consider his work among them to have been in vain. In the parable of the soils in Matthew 13 verse 1 through 23, Jesus described the seed that withered under the heat of trials. If the Thessalonians withered, then Paul's hard work as a farmer among them would have borne no harvest. So Paul did something to help prevent the Thessalonians from falling under this affliction. He sent Timothy to them because those who are in affliction need the help of other godly people. Verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. So when Timothy returned from his visit to the Thessalonians, he brought good news. The Thessalonians were doing well in faith and love, and they helped Paul, and Paul helped them to do even better with this letter that he wrote. And so, faith and love, in these two words, he states concisely the sum total of godliness. All who aim at this double mark are beyond the danger of error for the whole of their whole life. And so the verb he employs is one of one which is usually translated preach the gospel on good news. And so indeed, this is the only place in the whole of Paul's writings where it is used in any other sense than that. 
And so all pastors are reminded by this of the kind of relationship what ought to exist between them and the church. When things go well with the church, they are to count themselves happy, even though in other respects they are surrounded by much distress. On the other hand, however, if they see the building which they have constructed falling down, they are to die of grief and sorrow, even though in other respects there is good success and prosperity. So Timothy also brought the good news that the Thessalonians had not believed the vicious and false rumors about Paul. Verse 7 through 9. Therefore, brethren, in, our, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? So Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, and his coming to that city was marked with by difficulty. He said of his coming to Corinth, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Yet since Timothy came back with good news, Paul had a renewed strength and freshness of life, for now we live, he says. It made Paul feel much better that the Thessalonians were doing very well. And so Paul's thanks and joy overflowed because he knew that they did stand fast in the Lord. Some find it easy to rejoice in the material prosperity in the life of others, but Paul honestly rejoiced in the spiritual prosperity of others. Verse 10, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So Paul heard good news from Timothy, but it wasn't enough. Uh, he wanted to see the face of the church family in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul wanted it enough to pray it night and day exceedingly that God would make a way for him to see them. So exceedingly, there are various ways of expressing the thought of abundance, and this double compound is probably the most emphatic of all. And so in and perfect what is lacking in your faith, in the midst of all this joy, uh, Paul called attention to the fact that they were still lacking. Though the apostle, uh, he repeatedly complimented them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 13, and 19 and 20, and also chapter 3, verse 6, uh, he was also concerned to perfect or complete what is lacking in their faith. So Paul believed that his personal presence would be a help to the Thessalonians. Though his epistles might avail towards it, yet his personal presence would do more. There is a peculiar blessing that attends oral preaching more than just reading. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So this is going to show that Paul begins a passage of written prayer. He told the Thessalonians what he prayed for them. And so this is technically not a prayer. Recognition should be given to the fact that in actual statement, these verses do form a prayer addressed directly to God. They are rather a devout prayer wish. The solemn tone of this fervent prayer wish approaches to the language of prayer and is virtually a prayer. Uh, two persons are viewed as one and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's also in John chapter 10 verse 30. To possess power to open the way to Thessalonica once again, our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus is the compound subject of a singular verb, uh, probably an indication of the unity of the Godhead. And so direct our way to you. 
Paul was encouraged at the current state of the Thessalonians and by the fruit that Timothy's ministry had there, yet he still prayed that God would direct his way to the Thessalonians. This shows that though Paul valued the ministry others brought to them, he believed that they still needed the authoritative instruction and encouragement only the apostles could give. This being true, we also need to be under apostolic influence. Paul and the rest have graduated to glory, but their writings remain. God has preserved the apostles' teaching for us in the New Testament. So the church is founded upon the apostles, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Having been, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, right there. Okay, So the foundation of the new Jerusalem is the twelve apostles. In Revelation 21, verse 14, where it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And so there was something significantly unique about the first century apostles and prophets, and that unique ministry is preserved in the New Testament. Verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So this is not a loveless church, but they still had room to grow in love, uh, because love is an essential mark of the Christian faith. Jesus spoke of the essential place love has as an identifying mark of the Christian. In John 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Apostle John also emphasized this principle uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, where he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so, abound in love towards one another and to all. Paul looked for the Thessalonian Christians to show love to one another and to all. This love begins in the family of God, but it must also go beyond that. Jesus told us that our love is small and shallow if we only love those who love us also. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, where it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And so Paul daringly set himself as a standard of love to be emulated. We should live such Christian lives that we could tell young Christians, love other people just the way that I do. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. So Paul knew what God wanted the Thessalonians to have in their hearts established blameless in holiness. The idea behind holiness is to be set apart from the world and unto God. The genuinely holy person is separated away from the denomination of sin and self and the world, and they are separated to, towards God. And so the heart must be made holy first. The devil wants us to develop a holy exterior while neglecting the interior, like the whitewashed tombs that were full of death in Matthew 23, verse 27. When he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Harsh words. And so Paul was reminded of Jesus' return because nothing can encourage us to holiness like remembering that Jesus might come today. So Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians emphasized three things that are important for every Christian today. First, he wanted to be with them so that they could benefit from his apostolic wisdom and authority. He wanted them to abound in love. 
and he wanted them to be established in true heart holiness. And so all his saints, it is best to understand the holy ones as those bright beings who will make up his train, be they angels or the saints who have gone before.